What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not-so-great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says... What's the podcast? Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Jack. Sports Jack. It's Sports Jack. Welcome to episode 206 of Sports Jack. You mean the Philippe Ballou episode? Philippe? Philippe Ballou. Philippe Ballou. Now, do you remember Moises Ballou? I do. Who played for the Cubs? Yes. Okay. Philippe Alou is his father. He was one of three Alou brothers who played in the same outfield at the same time. Philippe, Matty, and Jesus. But Philippe hit 206 homers in his big league career. Three-time All-Star. Then went on to become a manager with the Montreal Expos. He's Philippe Alou. On this April 22nd, as we record Sports Yak, by the way, uh, welcome back, Chuck Freebie. Thank you, Corey, man. Welcome back to you as well. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you miss baseball? How much do you miss sports? 10. I mean, yesterday I found myself watching a 16 to nothing Cubs game on the MLB network because that was the Jake Arrieta no-hitter in Cincinnati. That's a good one to watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you watched a sports program that reignited something in you that was forgotten, like a game that reminded you of how great it was? Well, uh, a game that reminded me of how great it was was last week's 46 Sports Classic. We had Elkhart Central, New Prairie. It came down to the last five seconds. Elkhart Central hits a kick uh, from about 36 yards away to win it, 31-28. to That was a heck of a ball game mm-hmm. and a heck of a fun night at Rice Field. That's part of, uh, you have a lot of gigs, a lot of plates that you spin 
That's what you do on the weekends, though. You prepare this show. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so Friday nights at 11, Saturday mornings at 9, we run some of the better sporting events that we have run over the years on TV 46. It's usually high school, but it's not always high school. Uh, For instance, this Friday night, we will have the Bremen Softball State Championship game from last summer that they uh, played Tecumseh in the 2A state final. Nail-biter went down to the final inning. And, uh, well, obviously you know at this point that Bremen won. But it's they're still fun to watch. Okay. Family Broadcasting Corporation. In association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, this one will be relived, Chuck Freebie. Forever! Chuck uh, yanked at my arm this morning and said, hey, it's time for a new episode. We've got some things to discuss. Well, we do. Let's start. Let's start with high school basketball. Charlie Yoder, one of the great players to ever come through this area, Scored 2,163 points in his career at Westview. Uh, Finally made his college choice on Monday. And he just put it out in a very simple tweet. Nothing real flowery. But he is headed to the University of Incarnate Word in San Antonio, Texas. And you might say, well, that seems like an odd fit. Uh, there, There's a couple things to this story. Number one, he's not going there right away. He's going to a prep school next year to help him better prepare for college and to maybe give him uh, another year to get stronger. And uh, I think what happened was UIW had a full freshman class for this year. So they didn't really need him this year. They didn't really have any place to put him this year, but they have some place in the future. They want him, and so he is basically taking a gap year, and he'll go to UIW in the fall of 2021. What does that do for eligibility? Well, he'll have four years of eligibility from uh, 2021-22 all the way through into 2025. Okay. Um, By that point... Ryan, or excuse me, I almost said Ryan Lutz. Drew Lutz, the former Penn standout, who had a very solid freshman year for UIW this season. He'll be a junior. And so Lutz and Yoder will be on the same team. There will be a lot of local connection there. Is there a connection already between those two young men? I don't know if they played AAU ball together or not. Hmm. Um, I'm sure in the last few days there's a connection between them. And there's another Indiana connection in that the coach is a fellow by the name of Carson Cunningham. Carson Cunningham was a standout player at Andrean High School in Northwest Indiana and then went on to Purdue and uh, played a solid four-year career there. Went back to Andrean to start his coaching career, was a high school coach, and now has worked his way through the ranks and is the head coach at this Division I school in San Antonio. They were 9-22 and last year. They play in the Southland Conference. It's a relatively new Division I program. Uh, 
But I'll tell you, having been to San Antonio many times, uh, there's some recruiting advantages in that city. Uh, the weather is spectacular, and you know you've got a major airport right there, so it's fairly easy to get in and out to wherever they need to go play. And um, he might be able to build something down there. We'll see. I saw some highlight reel activity from Drew Lutz playing. I think he's going to continue to get great. I think that's going to be a great partnership once it uh, comes together. You know, it was interesting because he was all ticketed to go to Bethel, like all the other Lutzes have, Mm -hmm. and uh, decided to try it at the D1 level, and it worked for him. I mean, he showed that he can play at that level, Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, Whereas there's another young man from our area by the name of Zach Goodline, who was a standout performer at Coloma, went to Oakland University up near Detroit. That's Division One as well. And it just, there was something that just wasn't right up there for him, whether it was the commitment necessary, the coach, the environment, who knows? I haven't talked to him. Uh, but he decided to transfer to Huntington University, and he is going to play for Steve Alford's little brother, Corey, who's the new coach there. Okay. And he's also going to get to play with his little brother. Uh, I believe his name is Drew, who has committed to Huntington University. So the Goodline family will be wearing out a path from Coloma to Huntington uh, in the near future. But I think Zach Goodline, I'm not going to, you don't want to put the pressure of saying he's going to be the next Kyle Mangus in the Crossroads League. But I think he could definitely be a game changer for Huntington. Before you jump out of high school basketball, did Scooby land somewhere? Well, Scooby's going to Butler. Going to Butler. Carlos Johnson, Mr. Basketball in the state of Michigan, Mm -hmm. by the way, headed to Butler. And then uh, another couple other interesting high school notes that happened since the last time we were with you. Warsaw has a new coach. His name is Matt Moore. He has been, well, let's follow the Matt Moore coaching career. He started off as an assistant at Grace. He went to Grace College, uh, as did his brother Scott, who is now the head coach at Grace College. Matt Moore was an assistant to Jim Kessler for a little while. Then he went to Mount Vernon Nazarene in the Crossroads League, and his brother Scott was an assistant for him when he was the head coach at Mount Vernon. Decided that the college coaching life wasn't right for him and went to Kokomo High School, which has a terrific tradition in Indiana, but had fallen on some hard times. And he took Kokomo from having a losing program to 18 wins in three years. Well, that got the attention of a lot of people. So then Fishers High School down towards Indianapolis said, hey, can you do the same for us? We've had losing seasons throughout the last four years. And again, in his third year, he won 18 games at Fishers. So now he comes into this Warsaw program, which has a ton of tradition. He's only the third coach that Warsaw has had in the last 40 years. Al Rhodes, a very successful 22-year run there. Doug Ogle, a successful 18-year run. And so now here comes Matt Moore. He's got his brother just down the street at Grace College. Family's from Columbia City, so I I think he wanted to come back closer to home with his family, 
and he's got an outstanding opportunity uh, at Warsaw High School to really take that program, you know, back to the level. And and when I say back to the level, it makes it sound like Doug Ogle didn't do well. Doug Ogle did very well at Warsaw, but the last couple of years they've struggled. And so now they've got to get back up on the horse, and I think Matt Moore will be the guy that takes them there. Okay. Uh, the other big coaching news, well, there were two big coaching newses since we, newses, since we last met you. Two big pieces of coaching news. Uh, Rob Yoder steps down at Westview. Of course, this circles back to his son, Charlie, graduating. Rob had coached there 18 years, won over 300 games. And I just think he wants to be able to go watch his son play. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great move for him. And that'll be, a, that'll be an interesting job to see um, who winds up getting that job. I have had a couple of sources tell me that Ed Bentley from Angola is the favorite. Uh, Ed Bentley resigned from Angola in the middle of the year over some fallout with the athletic department there. Uh, Ed was a very successful coach with the Hornets, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him wind up there, but he's he'll certainly be one of the candidates. And then the other piece of coaching news that happened was Monday night when Sarah Deshone took the girls' job at LaPorte. Uh, Sarah had been the head coach at Mishawaka for the last couple of years. And while they hadn't had a lot in terms of wins and losses, she was very popular with her players and seemed to be building the youth program up as well to try to develop them uh, back into a contender in the Northern Indiana Conference. But now she can go to a program in LaPorte that has been established. Their head coach, Rob Walker, left to take a boys' coaching job out in Arizona. He had coached them to sectional titles in three of the last five years. They've got some great young talent there. Uh, A player by the name of Ryan Ott, who will be a candidate for Indiana All-Stars. And so it'll be interesting to see what Sarah can do there at LaPorte in a very competitive Duneland Athletic Conference girls basketball. Chuck, in your opinion, what school locally does the best in developing players by the time they get to the high school program? It, by the time they get to high school, you have to look at you have to look at the places that are one school towns. I think right now you'd have to say Northwood, based on what their eighth grade did last year. And this scares me a little bit that I know what eighth grade teams did, but I hear enough from these coaches. Uh, they give me an idea. Northwood won its conference last year in eighth grade. They went undefeated through it. And uh, I think Aaron Wolf's got some good stuff coming up for that program right now. And, you know, really that's part of what, if you look at the programs that are perennially successful, places like Warsaw and Northwood, they tend to be one school towns. The coach is active in developing the youth program there. And so by the time the kids get to high school, you're not teaching them the new system. They know the system. This will be the challenge for the Elkhart schools. Uh, This is the challenge at a place like New Prairie where they've had turnover of coaches. Mm -hmm. You have to have somebody stay the course long enough to develop that youth program, and you've got to let them do that. Uh, For instance, I'll I'll give you a beautiful for instance of this. Will Cody is, 
is going to be the girls' basketball coach at Elkhart High School. He has been the girls' basketball coach at Elkhart Central. Elkhart Central was absolutely pathetic in girls' basketball when Will Cody took the job. And Will Cody knew it was going to take him some time to build up. Now, he didn't tell his players that. He told his players, we're going out to win the section. You know, He set the standard of expectation there at a certain level and then brought them up to it. But he did that by going in and developing the fifth grade program, the sixth grade program. So now Will Cody's been there for seven years. Kids know who Will Cody is. They know his system. They know his expectations. And that's all part of what coaches like to call the process. Nice. Okay. So there's a there's a guy who's done it by building up that youth program. Mm-hmm. And when are we going to play basketball again? Ah, that's a heck of a good question. (laughs) I mean, the NBA continues to talk about it. Adam Silver said he won't say anything or won't, you know, really announce a plan until May 1st, if there is one then. I I think every day this situation seems to change. Uh, I know that Dan Dockage, radio host on Indianapolis, had Purdue University President Mitch Daniels on his show yesterday. And Daniel said, you know, in terms of the Big Ten and college football, they're exploring a ton of options. He says, but the number one option still on the table is trying to open universities in August and play football then. Hmm. Hopefully that happens. Yeah. And, and, and I thought Mitch gave a very good response when he mentioned, look, we're six weeks into this. We have another... 18 weeks before we get to college football season. This thing has changed a lot in six weeks, and it can change a lot in the next six weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, the point might be moot by the time we get there. I know there's people out there that say we could be canceling all of sports in 2020. I tend to be optimistic. I think we're going to have a football season. Okay. I saw a tweet of, February through May for the college football season. Well, that that idea is on the table. Yeah, which would be interesting because it kind of works the way it works opposite of what we are used to now, where it's super hot at the beginning of the season and maybe some snow and a winter jacket by the end. Flip that around for 2021. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. What else you got up your sleeve? Well, uh, the big sports story of the last week has been a documentary. Hasn't it? Yes. I mean, that's the thing that most people have been talking about for the last week is the documentary on the Chicago Bulls entitled The Last Dance. There was a company that got unprecedented access to the Bulls in 1998. And so they were able to shoot a lot of behind-the-scenes footage with the Bulls as they went for their sixth title and what turned out to be Phil Jackson's last season. And by now, by Wednesday, uh, I, I'm i not going to worry about spoilers because if you cared about it that much, you've probably found a way to see episodes one and two. Yes. So in essence, And according to the ratings, you have. Yeah. 6.1 million viewers, almost, well, I shouldn't say almost, but well above what ESPN had had for any of its 30 for 30 documentaries before. The the most popular prior to that was a Bo Jackson documentary 
Uh, you don't know Bo, and it, that had 3.6 million viewers. So we're talking a big-time audience for this on ESPN, and it was built up and heavily anticipated. Uh, and the, it was moved up from its original date. This was supposed to air around the NBA Finals in June. Now they're airing at five straight Sundays beginning last Sunday and two parts every Sunday. The problem for you and I, you being Corey, I being me, is that they air it at 9 o'clock at night on Sunday, which when we have to be in here waking up at 4 in the morning to get in here on time for Monday show uh, pretty much precludes us from watching it on Sunday. So I think both you and I watched it on Monday. Mm -hmm. And... I'd be curious, as you being the kind of quasi-sports fan, uh, more of the casual fan, your thoughts on it? Well, that was back when I watched the NBA. My wife and I both watched the NBA. Mm -hmm. um, my son is a huge NBA fan right now and constantly wants me to watch stuff with him pre-pandemic when it was going on. And I just, I stopped watching when Michael stopped playing. I just... There was nothing in, that interested me, but it was a season of life where that was something that both my wife and I could agree on. We watched games. We planned the evening around those games. And, uh, you know, for us, that's two hours down the road. Now, unfortunately, never got to see him live. Um, I do have a Michael Jordan story up my sleeve for another day, but... Um, I loved it. I loved episode one. I loved uh, not only, you know, they're focusing on that last season, but giving some history and context to the the competitive nature of Michael Jordan. Uh, I mean, it was a it was as much a soap opera as it was chasing after a, a sixth championship. Jerry Krause is the villain in this movie. Appears to be so you know? far. Um, Although, well... You go ahead with your impressions. Yeah. Know. So the first episode I, I loved, uh, I, I kind of hope they give us a little bit more on the shoes. The shoes were such a big deal. And I actually didn't know that he actually wore those first pair of shoes. I thought those were just for, you know, the common kids like us. I didn't know those were actual Air Jordan. You know, he wore them on the, on the floor. So I, I, I thought that was cool. Then I realized after the second episode, even though, man, there was some tension, I was a huge Scottie Pippen fan. Mm -hmm. I just loved, he to me was the great example of when, when you've got some talent, but you play alongside the best for a amount of time, your game is going to elevate. When you play with the best, you're going to become one right. of those elite. And I think that's what he did. Like, you know, the second best player in the NBA would be Scotty. And you think about this, Scotty Pippen playing at Central Arkansas in college. And any I mean, basically the Bethel or Grace of Arkansas. Yeah. And yet uh becoming well enough known down there that he wound up being well enough known to the scouts that he is drafted very high in the first round of the NBA draft. Was he fourth? Fifth. Fifth. And then becomes the second, really the second best player in the NBA behind his teammate for a while. Now, I realize that's that's up for argument. Mm -hmm. You and I both saw Monday morning the hashtag 
worst agent ever. It is unfathomable, especially in today's culture, 20, 25 to 30 years later, to think that Scottie Pippen was the 122nd person in the NBA in terms of salary. It just would not happen today. Right. And, and Jerry Reinsdorf, who almost comes across as somewhat of a neutral party in this, because he's trying to be fair to Krauss and he's trying to be fair to his players and all that. And talking about how I told Scotty, don't sign this contract. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, why are you offering such a cheap contract? But, that you know, he doesn't want to spend more of his money than he has to. Yeah. It is. There was a tweet from Scotty's wife that went out mid-morning on Monday. Scotty's just fine, by the way. Oh, and yeah. kind of broke down some money over the years. Sure. And then it ended up being like he made more money uh, for a few things than, you know. Oh, I, well, after, well, after he was done with the Bulls, his contract with the Rockets was rather sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And the Blazers. Yeah. He did okay for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We're not, we're not holding a telethon for Scotty anytime soon. One wonders if we're going to get as much episode attention to the um, the co-stars. I feel like there's going to be a Dennis segment because of the oh sure the strange question mark that Dennis brought. But do we get a do we get 15 minutes of a Steve Kerr story? Do we get uh, you know Wennington? Mm-hmm. Do we get uh, Luke Longley's or Ku Coach? I'd love to hear. I mean, I think you'll get some. You know. Uh, I was watching some old uh, PA announcing yesterday because of Tommy Edwards and... And Ray Clay. Yeah, Ray Clay, and just at 6'11 from Croatia. I was like, wow, that dude was huge Mm -hmm. and was such a a pivotal player. I kind of would like to learn a little bit about him, too. So I'm excited for this next week. So it left you wanting more. Oh, yes. It it got the hooks in me. Yeah. Yeah, I want more. Um, Here was the big question I asked you. I don't think we've gotten this answer. Why have we not seen this footage until now? Yeah, I don't know. How I, do you sit on something that long? I don't know that they necessarily had a vehicle to put it out in. And the ability to put it put it into context. You know, you Jerry Krause, you you described him as a villain in this. But it's, and maybe he is, I, I thought they did a pretty good job explaining, he just seems socially awkward. Uh-huh. And he always seemed socially awkward in interviews that I saw him do and things like that. And yes, I think there's a huge Krause, a huge part of Bear, Jerry Krause that uh, was jealous of the attention of the players. Yeah. And wanted some of that for himself and wanted credit for, for building this team. And, you know, as the one writer said, he did build this team. I mean, he had the foresight to go out and get Pippen and bring him in, and and he puts all these parts together. So he's not without value. But, man, to sit there and just take the shot after shot after shot that he's taken from Jordan. And, of course, what are you going to do? 
because Jerry Krause is nobody's idiot. He knows if it comes down between Michael Jordan and Jerry Krause, Jerry Krause is getting farmed out. Mm -hmm. I did love the throwback uh, game of the Celtics, a reminder of how amazing they were. I'm looking forward to maybe some more of that. Oh, yeah, you're going to get plenty of that. I'm guessing with Rodman, we might get to see you know his uh, Detroit days. Well, I what think that's from. what you're getting next. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you're going to see Remember they kind of left it off at about 87 88. Stan Albeck was the last coach mentioned in the documentary. Mm-hmm. We haven't even gotten to the Doug Collins years. And I'm curious to see cuz I have always thought and maybe I heard some things or I remember them differently now. But I've always kind of felt like Phil Jackson operated behind the scenes to almost sabotage Doug Collins so that he could get the job when Michael and the guys were truly ready to go on this run. Interesting. And you've got this period of time that's going to be about 87 to 90 where Doug Collins comes in and elevates them to a certain level. Remember, they had some great series with the Pistons in the late 80s and early 90s, but they couldn't get past Detroit. And then there was the point where, okay, they do get past Detroit. They humiliate Detroit. They sweep them. Isaiah and the guys walk off the court before the end of the game and don't shake hands. And that's when they went on to win the first three titles. But that was all under Phil, not Doug Collins. Mm Mm-hmm. So a lot to a lot to unfold there, a lot to unpack. Did you have a favorite of the Bulls three, Pete? Did you like the first three or did you like the second three better? I thought the first three was a little more special only because and they when you look at the footage of when he first got there and the empty seats yes. at the Chicago Stadium. And what a moribund franchise that was. See, I grew up, I liked watching some NBA on ABC back in the day. And this was when Oscar Robert. I mean, I'm old, okay? Oscar Robertson's playing for the Milwaukee Bucks with Lou Alcindor, who would become Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Walt Frazier, Dave DeBusher, Willis Reed and the Knicks. And then they get Earl the Pearl Monroe in 73 and they win a title. And then uh, Dave Cowens comes up with the Celtics and JoJo White. And you've got some great old players back in the 70s. And so I would watch some NBA and I would pay attention to it. And the Bulls in the early 70s had guys like Norm Van Leer and Bob Love, who were terrific players, Jerry Sloan, and they were competitive. They, They got to the Western Conference Finals in 75. And then that team kind of fell apart. And you saw this cocaine-laden bull squad that MJ comes into in the early mid-80s. And between 75 and 84, I mean, the Bulls just crumbled. Mm. They were awful. And they went through coaches like people go through Pez. I mean, it was just unbelievably bad. So to see those empty seats in the early days of his rookie season and how quickly he filled the place back up, yeah, that was remarkable to me.
I remember being younger and going, wait a minute. Jordan played golf with Danny Ainge the day before he's going to play him as an opponent. They do that? They actually go do things together like that? Yeah. I, I was mind-blowing. I, I loved that little story in the first episode. That was fun. And, and you mentioned the shoes. It reminded me of a story that I saw online. John Calipari, who is the current coach at Kentucky, coached in the NBA. And he's got Jim Jackson on his team. Jim Jackson had some good years with the Mavericks. Comes over, and he's playing. And this was towards the end of the Bulls' run. Uh, Jack Haley. I don't know if you remember him with some of the Bulls' teams in the 90s. The name he, rings a bell. He, he was a guy that played at UCLA. He was like the 12th man on the Bulls' roster. If he came into the game, that was like the victory cigar being lit. But Haley was – Michael liked Haley. And so the Bulls let go of Haley, and he's on this team that Calipari's coaching. And I think it might have even been a preseason game. And Jim Jackson's chirping at Michael through the first quarter or so from the bench. I don't think he's even dressed. Maybe he is. He's chirping. And finally, Michael comes over and says something in Jack Haley's ear in the second quarter. And Calipari turns to Haley and goes, what did he say? And he says, if Jim Jackson don't like me so much, tell him to take off my bleeping shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my quick Jordan story for you. I had a high school girlfriend that cleaned the chalets in Coloma. Okay. And one night, the house phone, because I lived with my parents, obviously, in high mm -hmm. school, the phone rings. And it's my girlfriend at like 12.30. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm in bed. You know, I've got to work the next day. She goes, you've got to come to Coloma. And I said, what for? She goes, you just got to come to Coloma and you got to trust me. So I go at 12.30 at night, drive to Coloma from, uh, from St. Joe to Coloma, knock on the chalet door, and there is a, a little gathering going on. There's, and it look, kind of looks like a hotel room. You know, you got your twin beds, a table in the corner, some beer cans, the TV's on, diehards on the TV, and because uh, there's a VHS. And uh, I see a handful, my girlfriend at the time, a handful of girls, a pair of legs in between the twin beds, and another big dude in the corner. I don't know who he is. And they're kind of giggling and they're staring at me. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, you know, I'm just having some fun. And I sit down. And uh, and Die Hard is on the TV. I remember it. And the phone rings in the room. And uh, people kind of jump to get the phone. And I hear somebody go, don't answer the phone. It might be Juanita. And I turn around. And there he is playing in the Western Am in Coloma. Is yep. Michael Jordan and his bodyguard. He had a little soiree with my girlfriend and her cheerleader buddies. So my jaw drops. There's a camera. I take two pictures of them together. I'm the one that took the photo. I never got in the photo. I can show you the two photos. And I, I mean, I was so awestruck. I forgot to include myself. I'm surprised he agreed to the picture. He agreed to it. And he, I'll show it to you. It's very 1989-ish. And uh, I go to work the next day at the radio station, my first job. And I'm telling the story, and they're like, that's not true. That's not true at all. Harold Palladium, hey, Michael, what'd you do? What, what are you doing while you're in Coloma and the game's over? 
just sitting in my room watching movies like Die Hard. And I was just like, there it is. There it is. That's my Michael Jordan story. So we'll look forward to more of that documentary. (laughs) Another thing we're looking forward to, and this is probably the second most heralded event to come up during the pandemic, and that is the NFL draft, which begins tomorrow night. It will be done virtually. All these NFL uh, general managers or ops directors will be in their homes, more than likely. Did you give me a number this morning? Did you actually say a number of how many cameras do you think they'll have? Oh, I I have no idea. I I know that they'll have some at you know the anticipated draft picks homes, mm-hmm. and they'll have some people in studios, obviously. In perspective. American Idol has to do this as well. Right. 25 cameras. Oh, I bet 25 you different homes. I bet you it'll be more than that for yeah. the NFL draft. Okay. Uh, that said, uh, the, the Lions, <laughs> their IT person, apparently they went through a dry run of this draft the other day. And the NFL general manager is trying to use Zoom and audio problems and bandwidth problems and things like that. And I guess they finally got it down where people knew what they were doing and they could do this in a in a reasonable way. But the Lions IT guy is going to be in a Winnebago in his general manager's driveway. Basically, he stays in there unless he's needed in the house. He stays in there for each day of the draft. When the draft is over at night, he can go home. And then he comes back and hangs out in the Winnebago again the next day. Wow. Just in case the coach needs. Right. You know, there's a band, there's an IT problem. What's my there's password? Problem. Yes, <laughs> exactly. How do you print? So. <laughs> I saw John Gruden try to do this the other day with, he, a, with he, University of Tennessee, yeah. right? Oh, horrible. What button do I press? Horrible. Let's get my wife in here. So. It'll be, it'll be interesting TV. Uh, as I told Corey this morning, I think there's always three ways to look at the draft. You can have your big picture perspective where you look at the league as a whole and the top few picks. Mm-hmm. We'll look at specific teams, our regional teams, Bears, Colts, Lions. And then we'll look at some of the Notre Dame guys and where they might go. Okay. So let's start with the overview I don't think anybody disputes Joe Burrow, the quarterback from LSU, is going to the Bengals with the number one pick. I don't think there's any question about it. Um, he's an Ohio native. He won the Heisman Trophy. The Bengals desperately need a quarterback. Andy Dalton isn't getting any younger, and he hasn't won. So Joe Burrow's going to come in, and depending on who you read or who you talk to, Uh, There are a lot of people that think that he can have a long, successful career in the NFL, that he's got the skill set to do that, which is amazing considering that up until about the middle of last college football season, nobody had heard of Joe Burrow. I mean, he had been at Ohio State. It languished on the bench. He transfers. He goes to LSU. LSU has this new offensive coordinator. It all clicks, and boom. Uh, number two is going to be Chase Young from Ohio State. A lot of people think he is the best player in the draft 
regardless of position, and he is a premier pass rusher. We saw that all through college football season last year. Pass rushers in the NFL are well-paid, and Chase Young will be well-paid. Where is he going to go? He's going to go to the Redskins. Okay. The Lions have the third pick of the draft, and here's, here's the first place where I see some debate. I think the Lions desperately need help in their secondary. I think they've got to look at a guy. Uh, there's a kid from Ohio State whose last name is Okuda, Jeff Okuda. And he he's the kind of guy that can be a lockdown corner. And to me, cornerbacks are kind of like defensive ends. I mean, if you find one that's really, really good, you better go up and go out and scoop him up. But there is some talk that the Lions might look at Derek Brown, who's a defensive tackle from Auburn, because they've got problems along the line of scrimmage, too. I'm sorry. If I'm Matt Patricia, and I kind of feel like my job's on the line this year, i got to have somebody who can help me now. I'm going to go get a Cuda. Uh, then the real drama starts to happen at number five with the Dolphins. The Dolphins need a quarterback. A lot of people think that the Dolphins will take Tua Tagovailoa, the kid out of Alabama. But he got injured last year, and the problem with the injury is nobody has really seen him in person play football. The pandemic happened. He didn't go to the he did not go to the combine. The pandemic happened. Teams didn't really have a chance to have their doctors look at him. Uh, And with the money that you're talking about investing in a first-round draft pick, you just wonder if you're going to spend it on somebody that you're not sure about their durability. Now, there are other people that say Tua Tagovailoa is the second coming of Russell Wilson, and look at the career that Russell Wilson has had in the NFL. So that's the question for the Dolphins. Do they take a chance on Tua, or do they go with a maybe safer pick, Justin Herbert, the quarterback out of Oregon? I I think that's the real first domino to fall to affect everything else in the draft. So that's kind of a look at the early part of Thursday's draft. If you're a Buccaneer head office, what are you going to do with your pick in this draft? Well, for one... If, if I'm the Bucks, they pick at number 14, okay? I've got a glut of tight ends. Maybe I want to move up a little bit higher. But I've just got QB1, okay? I've got Tom Brady. I darn well better find an offensive tackle to protect him. I, I think that is priority number one. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to get an offensive tackle, maybe a guy like Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. But I have got to find some way of keeping Tom Brady on his feet because for what I'm going to be paying Tom Brady, um, he has to be protected. I have to keep him in the game. I have to keep him on his feet. Okay. Now, the problem for – we mentioned the Lions and their situation, and – I, I think the Lions front office is going to be focused on defense in this draft. 
when I go back and I look at teams like, let's let's take the Bears. They do not have a first-round pick because of the Khalil Mack deal that they made with the Raiders a couple of years ago. So with that in mind, um, how do how do the Bears attack this draft? I think I've seen talk about wide receivers, but I really think the Bears need some help along the offensive line. And they need some help in their secondary. They need a safety. So if you're looking at picks 43 and 50, which is what the Bears have right now, uh, with that 43rd pick, you should be able to get yourself a pretty good center and somebody who can help you right now. And I know the folks at NFL.com are talking about Cesar Ruiz, who is the center out of the University of Michigan. Um, They feel like he's athletic enough. He could step into that Bears offensive line and play right away. Because, again, one of the problems the Bears had was keeping pressure off the quarterback last year. Uh, The other area is safety. The name I keep hearing bandied about, the Bears really like a kid out of Southern Illinois by the name of Jeremy Chin. He is a hard-hitting guy, um, has some good size to him, can handle the deep coverage. I can't say that I've ever seen him play. I'm just telling you what I'm reading. So look for those two names to be bandied about when the Bears come across. The Colts actually pick before the Bears do. Now, the Colts lost their first-round draft pick when they picked up DeForest Bruckner, the defensive tackle from the 49ers here in the offseason. Colts could really use a wide receiver to go with Phillip Rivers in this offense. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a kid I saw last year that I really liked a lot was Michael Pittman out of USC. His dad's a former NFL player. He had a huge game against Notre Dame, and Notre Dame had a pretty good secondary last year. And Pittman had a huge game and really kept the Trojans in that game last year. I I think he could be somebody that the Colts take a look at with their first pick. Then um, later in the second round, they've got a 44th pick. Uh, they, they could use a pass rusher. Who's going to fall that far? Maybe a kid like Terrell Lewis out of Alabama. Uh, but... I think the Colts are looking at wide receivers and edge rushers. The Bears are looking at offensive linemen and safety. And the Lions are looking at anybody who has a pulse on defense. <laughs> That's what it's going to say on the crawl. <laughs> um, now, what about the Notre Dame guys? Where- yes, it's always fun to know in our backyard who's going on to the next level. Yeah. If I had to predict the first Notre Dame player to be drafted... I, I would put my money on Julian Aquora, the defensive end. Uh, he really impressed a lot of scouts as a pass rusher last year. I think um, he could be kind of a hidden star. He's already got a brother who's in the NFL, so you kind of know some things about the family and about how they operate, uh, and I think that bodes well for him. Cole Komet. I've seen everything from late first round to early third round. I don't think anybody argues that Cole Komet may be the best tight end in this draft. The question is, how many teams really put a priority on tight end? And originally, I would have thought, okay, if you'd asked me this question two months ago, I would have thought the Patriots are a great fit for Cole Komet. 
because they had Tom Brady, who's used to throwing to a tight end, and Rob Gronkowski. And I'm not saying Cole Komet is Rob Gronkowski. Personality-wise, he's not even close to Rob Gronkowski. He's much more reserved. But in terms of a pass catcher, in terms of his athletic ability, he would he would have given them that kind of target. I think the priorities have obviously changed a lot with the Patriots right now. So I'm not sure that they're looking in that direction. Uh, but I, I would expect that Komet will be the first tight end taken off the board. I'm really high on Chase Claypool. I think Chase Claypool is going to be an NFL star. I really do. I, I've just seen the development that he made. I think he's one of the players that made the most development that has come through Notre Dame in the Brian Kelly era. From what he came in as to what he left as, mm-hmm. I I think there's tremendous upside to Chase Claypool. And he can help you in so many facets. He's 6'4", and he can leap, and he's big and physical. There aren't a lot of corners that are going to match up with him. So you're going to be able to get him the ball an awful lot. Um, I just think teams are missing out if they don't take him. Is he a speedster? He doesn't have – that's the thing. He doesn't – well, I take that back. He may not have the speed of like a, a Michael Pittman – Okay, that I mentioned earlier. But if you remember, they played him a lot on special teams, and he made a lot of tackles on special teams. Mm-hmm. You don't make tackles on special teams unless you're getting down the field in a hurry. Yeah. So he may not have line of scrimmage burst of speed. His first 10 yards may not be that great. But then those long legs get going, and he can cover some ground once he gets down the field. Okay. So... Let's put him in comparison with another former Irish receiver that people may know that is in the NFL, and that's Will Fuller. Okay, He doesn't have Will Fuller's speed, but uh, is he faster than Michael Floyd was? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. And Michael Floyd hung around the NFL a long time, Yeah, even after a troubled career here. Claypool doesn't have the troubled career here. Uh, he's motivated by this sister that he had that committed suicide, who he said believed in him more than anybody else, and he tries to play for her and her memory every day. And so uh, there, there's a lot to Chase Claypool to like, and I think some team would be smart to take him in the second round. And okay. maybe it will even be the Colts. What else would you like to cover? Anything? I feel good about all this. All right. feel real good. There you have it. We we haven't had much to talk about. We haven't been with you frequently. Uh, I don't know if we're going to do anything Friday, but Monday, I can guarantee you, we have a guest lined up. Plus, we can talk about what happened in the draft, right? We will talk about what happened in the draft. Maybe we'll even maybe we'll even throw a splash on Friday and and talk about what happened in round one. Okay, we can do that. Uh, we've got an email, sportsyak with two Ks at gmail.com. Want to reach out to us and say hello? We'll say hello back. We are both on Twitter. Where are you at? At 46 Sports. Yeah, you've got uh, the new Chargers uniforms that you can check uh, out. What would you think of those? Some other good stuff. Uh, clean and flashy 
And uh, where are they at again? Los Angeles? Yeah, that's the thing. I am so used to them being in San Diego. Yeah. I, I struggle to say Los Angeles Chargers. I have really had to script that out this morning to talk about that. My wife and I celebrate our 26th wedding anniversary tomorrow. Really? Yes. Congratulations. On our 10th anniversary, I surprised her with a trip to San Diego on the weekend that Eli got drafted to the Chargers. Was that right? Was he the Chargers first? Yes. And then they made a big... Yes. Ballyhoo, and he went to the Giants instead. Right. Yeah. But that was all the headlines on TV that whole weekend was, is Eli coming to San Diego? And the answer is no. 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 But they did have a but good that, run with Phillip Rivers. Yeah, but that, that uniform reminded me of that time. and You know, in the uh, beautiful California weather, light blue pants and the white jersey is going to sparkle and look clean until they hit the uh, field a couple times. Yeah. All right. Oh, I would know I was going to ask you, what team needs a new uniform? Oh, what team needs a new uniform? Hmm. Let me think about that. There have been a lot of new uniforms that have come out recently. Uh, the Patriots, I did not care for their new unis. The Browns kind of went back to a more traditional Cleveland Browns look, and I liked it a lot. I've never been a fan of anything the Bengals have put out in their uniforms. I would say that they, with Joe Burrow coming in, let's start fresh. Let's get some new Cincinnati Bengals uniforms. But that's a franchise. Man, they don't want to pay for anything. They, uh, Are we talking major overhaul, new helmet, new colors, or just uh, let's polish up well, the, the Bengal look? You don't have to change the colors at all. Uh, you can be orange and black and white but just let's let's get a new look let's get some excitement back in cincinnati for the bengals okay um you know the a lot of the nfl i didn't like what they did with the rams uniforms the rams uniforms are just fine the way they were mm -hmm. and uh they changed those i would say if i'm the miami dolphins i go back to that look from the 1970s that they had just the the dolphin on the helmet and the and the clean white and aqua look. I mean, I know it's very seventies, but it was just such a classic Miami look. I agree. I agree. Yeah, we're on Twitter as well, Sports Yak with two Ks. As always, thanks for listening. Leave us a review. Leave us a comment. Uh, you could listen on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening right now. If that's working for you, then do that. Actually. I can guarantee you we won't have a show Friday because I forgot I have some other things going on, but we'll see you Monday. <laughs> You're busy. I'm busy. You're very important. I wouldn't go that far. Until next time, Yak fans. Ooga looga, Felipe Lou. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sport Jack. Sport Jack. Sport Jack is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. You've been listening to Sports Yak with Chuck Freebie and Corey Mann as himself. Produced by Corey Mann. The Sports Yak theme song by Rhett Walker. Production elements and voiceovers by AudibleGenesis.com. Engineered by Phil Souza. 
Executive producer is Danae Hughes in partnership with the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Interested in your own podcast? Contact Danae at Danae at StudioDNA.media. Sports Yak Archives available on iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.